Good morning and welcome to Cowboy State Politics. Those of you who are astute and practiced listeners to Cowboy State Politics will note that I am not your beloved host, David Iverson. Instead, I am your beloved representative from Sheridan, Ken Pendergraft, and David is, he's going to take a little bit of time off. He's going to enjoy a little bit of a vacation, and I hear that he's going to be on a TV show. We might talk about that later, but in the meantime, you should be forewarned that I am probably going to be here for the next two or three shows, and so you might have to get used to me. Oh, I think you got to stop and take a look at what you're doing here. I speak against this because it kind of reminds me of that fairy tale, Cinderella. Yeah, well, Bill, we're not real worried about what you think here on Cowboy State Politics. Here we go. We do have a special guest with us today, and uh, behind the curtain number one. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Yeah. You do need to pay attention to this guy, though, because this guy is also a state representative. He comes out of Casper, and his name is Tony Locke, and I cannot wait for you guys to get to know Tony. Welcome, Tony. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to be up here and uh, enjoy this beautiful part of the state and uh, hopefully have a great time. Well, we're not here to have a good time. I guess depending on the topic, that might be the case. <laughs> <laughs> so, topic we got a we got a couple of topics in mind today, and one that comes to mind right off the bat every time I see you is it, you're part of revenue committee. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that, that sentiment might be sometimes uh, yeah. uh, commonly shared, but but as is the tradition on. Cowboy State Politics, when we bring somebody new uh, to, to come and talk to this audience, we give them a, a minute or two to introduce themselves, and so I'm going to ask you to do that. Just let the Cowboy State Politics audience understand who you are. Go for it. Well, hey, it's uh, great to be here. Great, great to have an opportunity to get to know everybody out there. Um, Tony Locke, uh, I was a born and raised in Wheatland. Uh, Grew up in this fantastic state that, w- that we all love. Went to the University of Wyoming. Air Force took me away for years, and uh, I was blessed after many, many years of the Air Force and then uh, life's travels to be able to come back to the state I love, and uh, I really enjoy it. Both my wife and I are um, basically were born and raised in the state. And, uh, again, great to meet you all. Um, and I'm um, a freshman legislator, as some of you know, maybe all of you know, I don't know. And uh, so <clears throat> just uh, looking forward. And, and by the way, I'm, I thank you so much. Those of you in House District 35, uh, that's that's my uh, stomping ground. I'm a, a, fr- a freshman legislator in House District 35 there. And I am just uh, blessed to have the opportunity to represent that great group of folks. So Tell us a little bit about the Revenue Committee. What's that like? What's its purpose? What, what's it like? So for the most part, it's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of tend to be the smaller government, less tax kind of guy. And the Revenue Committee's job, of course, is to uh, um, 
basically to look at the revenue streams that the state is looking for or looking at and looking at where where is the state going to make changes, uh, find revenue streams for the state where we need them and uh, and make adjustments to those revenue streams as they see fit. Of course, my primary objective in this process is I think uh, I would much rather keep as much money in the pockets of the people as we possibly can, keep the sides of our government well under control, and keep those revenue streams to only what is necessary. So that's my personal objective. So tell us a little bit about who's on that committee, because I think there's an interesting perspective on leadership by looking at who's on the revenue committee. Uh, as you pointed out, the revenue committee's job is to make sure that revenue comes into the state. And so who's on that committee? So the, uh, the chairman of the committee is Steve Harshman. And uh, I probably won't list all of, all of the folks that are on there. On the Senate side, you have uh, Bo Beitman is a chair on the Senate side. And then there's a mix of folks, uh, John Bear, Tommy Strzok, Liz Storer, uh, a few other folks on the, that committee. So let's, let's just look at that for a minute. Bo Beitman is one of the chairs, and Bo Beitman is one of the most conservative senators that we have. Uh, you mentioned yourself. You mentioned Tommy Strzok. John Bear, staunch, staunch conservatives. Liz Storer, not so much. Doesn't it seem kind of, I, I don't know that I would quite use the word devious, but clever, to take staunch conservatives and put them on a committee whose job it is to build up and support revenue? Doesn't that seem like kind of an underhanded move? I don't know that it's necessarily underhanded. One might view it that way. But then as a person who I like to think of myself as conservative, um, <clears throat> it's my opportunity, hopefully, to try to infuse um, some reasonable controls on that process. Well, so thank you. For, I would certainly yeah. do it. Thank you for being there. You've done a great job. One of the things that comes into the revenue process and in fact, the entire legislature is property taxes. It's my understanding, please correct me if, if you understand otherwise, that we collected somewhere in excess of 438 extra billion dollars, or extra million, 438 million dollars extra this year in property taxes. Kind of a, a windfall that we weren't expecting. Yeah, my <clears throat> the numbers I've looked at. So, like in 2021, it was roughly around 1.3 billion collected. Now that's collected across all property tax, and right. then in 2022, and that's not collected. That's assessed. Actually, I believe is what those numbers are. And then in 2022, which was the assessment was more along the lines of 1.8 billion. So there's your roughly 400 and. The numbers are maybe not precise, but in that $450 million additional dollar range. Um, and that, of course, is across all those all uh, the property types. So many people across the state experienced a 10, 15, 20, 30 or more percent increase over the last couple of years in their property taxes. The state found itself with a $2 billion surplus from a number of other revenue streams. And so one of the 
main topics was let's figure out how we can give the folks a break. And if memory serves, we ran something like 21 different bills with different ideas on how to cut property taxes. And we passed two? I think two is what yeah. we actually ultimately passed. <clears throat> the first one we'll talk about a little bit later, and that was a bill sponsored by our, our good friend Mark Jennings. And I, I think both of us were co-sponsors on that one. And that was basically to, this the only real reform bill that was out there, um, rather than just doing a, a little temporary help, it was to kind of restructure how property taxes are assessed, goes back to uh, acquisition value. And this bill was simply, because we knew we couldn't pass something right off the bat without changing the Constitution. This bill was just to fund the study to see is it feasible and how might it best be done. So we did that one. And then early on, there was a proposition to change the Constitution as it stands today. And instead of having three classes of property, to bring it to four classes of property. Now, how did we feel about that in the beginning? So I, I don't think that <clears throat> splitting out the property uh, the different property tax types is perceived as this tool that is going to be used to help one class or another class. But I think there's uh, there's a historical uh, view of that that says that's not always the case. So I had basically mixed emotions on it. Now, early on, I was actually, I voted in favor of it because the original bill actually had a uh, the, the original revenue committee bill that was putting trying to put this in place actually gave the legislator the legislature the opportunity to impose uh, a tax limit uh, so uh, a tax cap if you will on uh, the residential piece of that bill so <clears throat> although the bill itself, the, the the splitting out the tax category the the additional property category doesn't necessarily well it really doesn't do anything for the the people or help anybody the tax cap opportunity i saw that at least as an opportunity to put a tool in place in the constitution that gives the legislature the opportunity to actually do some reform that would help the people of wyoming right. so so we looked at that as conservatives and said we don't really like the idea and david's covered this on shows in the past so we're kind of rehashing a few things we're going to spend a lot of time on it but we looked at it as this this really isn't an improvement this simply allows the legislature to start monkeying with different taxes on different types of property for example what what i personally felt was going to happen was yeah, they're going to give you a, a a point or two on your primary residence, give you a little break, and everybody will pat themselves on the back and say, look, what a great job we've done. But you, you over here who has a number of income properties, uh, you're, you're quite wealthy and you really don't need the tax break. So we're going to go ahead and, and we'll kind of make some of that up and we might bump it a little bit on your properties. Well, if you own those properties, you're not going to pay that tax you're going to pass it on to whoever's leasing that property 
So effectively what we're doing, and this is why I stringently oppose the idea, is you're just passing that tax on to the people who can least afford it. So we all got together, and, and Tony, you ran this amendment to try to, to try to salvage it and make something out of it that would put a cap on it and say you just can't increase it over a certain amount per, per year. And that amendment failed, and when that amendment failed, we all just voted it down, and we're going to move on to some other ideas. Pretty much the way you remember it? That's exactly how I remember it, absolutely. Because it was obvious by the time when you saw the arguments that were put forth that said, we can't have this cap option in the bill. Now, the interesting thing was the, uh, the cap option didn't impose a cap specifically. All the option did was give the legislature the right to put it in place. So interestingly enough, the pushback was just to stop the capability of the legislature of, you know, to not give them the option to put a cap in place. It was quite interesting. And so that, that was where basically where I was at. You could tell by the pushback on that simple cap that ultimately there was no desire on anybody's part to actually use this uh, for the benefit of the folks. So going back, we had, at, at this point, we had a number of other bills that we knew were in the works, and we thought we could probably work some things with them. Um, as you look down the list of them here, you're looking at the same list that I am, and you see the, the phrase died in committee over and over and over and over again. A couple of committees, whether it be revenue, whether it be appropriations, they just they slaughtered all the ideas. We had several ideas. Um, maybe adjusting the mill levy adjustments, um, a, a number of, help me out if you remember, s some of the grand ideas that we had, that we had hoped for, and they all got killed. The homestead exemption? Yeah. It yeah. was, It was. I liked the, there were two of those. The one that actually, that you kind of see here that got, that died in committee, um, uh, kind of, uh, what was that, House Bill 54, I was disappointed that one didn't, uh, actually get voted on in the committee. Uh, there was another one, I believe it was either 98 or 99, that actually brought that back, and it was titled a little bit different, but it brought that back. It wasn't a great bill, but at the end of the day, what it did do was give relief for all uh, residential property taxpayers across the state. So it provided to some degree a benefit to everyone, uh, some relief to everyone. So I thought it was fairly important to get that out there. There was a couple amendments placed on it that made it less favorable. We tried to push the amount of the exemption up to give people a little bit more of a break. Um, the, they uh, put a uh, sunset on it for, uh, for a couple of years. So they took, a, took away some of the good qualities for it, but at the end of the day, I was disappointed that that one could not make it through the process because yeah. it would have been some relief for folks across the state. And that's all it was, was a temporary relief. It really didn't, it didn't change the structure and the problem was still there, which is part of what we wanted to get through, hence the, the House Bill 100, which did pass. It is a study. The problem with that is going to take two or three years. It's got to go through a constitutional amendment, which involves a vote on the ballot. 
it's it's a long drawn out process and in the meantime they're still taking your tax monies so to make a long story short kind of fast forward to one of the last days of the session there was a palpable feel on the house floor that oh my gosh we haven't done anything about property taxes we all promised we we've, we've looked and so we had this it was a resolution i think from the senate to change the constitution to give a, an exemption or a break to the elderly elderly and infirmed and we couldn't decide what elderly meant or what infirmed meant and so we were we're debating all of this and finally here comes Liz Storer to the rescue, and she brings back that first concept that we'd already voted down. Let's have four classifications. And a whole bunch of people glommed onto the bandwagon. At least then we can say we did something. And somehow they got it passed. But I'm telling you, folks, it's a trap. It's not a good deal. All they're going to do is screw with the taxes even more, and we're going to have more problems. What are your thoughts, Tony? Uh, and I agree completely. And is all you have to really do. I had a lot of people push me say, oh, there was a lot of push to get this fourth category split out. And you can come up with all kinds of reasons why that could be used for good. That's the truth of it. But is all you have to do is look at the people that were voting to get the cap amendment out and all of these other things taking the, the features out of the bill that really could help people, could be in place to help people, when you look at the folks that were pushing to split out the category and take out the stuff that was really going to be there to help the people of Wyoming, then you know what the intent of how it's going to be used. Every at, at the end of the day, that's a, the real key is listen to what the people said who were pushing for this bill and look how they feel about your taxes. Yeah. I, I remember one specific point in the discussion where Representative Steve Harshman, who is chairman of the, of the Revenue Committee, was objecting to a particular break because he said, we're not going to give the wealthy people a tax break. We're not going to do that. And... I tell you, you know, you can you can go look it up. You can find the discussion. It's it's public knowledge, and that was the, that was a very telling point for me. These people are not necessarily concerned with, in my opinion, they're not concerned with the average Joe taxpayer. They're concerned about the revenue to the state, and not hurting that. We're going to take a little break here and uh, pay some bills, and then we're going to come back, and we're just going to talk a little bit about what it's like to be in the legislature. So we'll be back in just a minute. We'll get back to the program in just a second. But first, an absolutely obscene moment of self-interested capitalism. 
Cowboy State Politics is brought to you by Morton Buildings. If you're in the market for an outbuilding or a garage or a barn or maybe a roping arena so you can do all of that rodeo stuff in the winter, or maybe even a giant warehouse for your business, then you need to call my friends Nick and Jesse at 307-674-2532. Morton Buildings is the expert in metal building construction. They've been doing it longer than anybody else, and they certainly do it better than anybody else. So it doesn't matter what type of building you've been interested in, just give Nick and Jesse a call. Again, their phone number is 307-674-2532, or you can check them out on their website at mortonbuildings.com. My friends, it's Saturday morning, and you know what I'm thinking about? Hot wings. Hot Wings from the Winget Food Truck. They make the most incredible wings in the state of Wyoming. And it's not just hot wings. They have several other different flavors. I personally recommend the garlic parmesan wings. They're incredible. Well, to figure out where that truck is going to be, go to their Facebook page, the Winget Food Truck, and you can figure out where that truck is going to be. That way, you can plan your entire week around nothing but hot wings. That's the Wing It Food Truck. You can listen to the podcast on any of your favorite podcasting apps. iHeartRadio, iTunes, TuneIn, really any of them will work. But the easiest way is just to go to the website, CowboyStatePolitics.com. There, you can find all of the shows, as well as any of the articles that I might bring up during the course of a program. If your name is Sleepy Joe Biden, and you're dumber than a box of rocks, well... You can go to CowboyStatePolitics.com, pull up an article, and educate yourself, just like you should have been done before you ran for office. And now, back to our program. Well, it's good to be back. So, I I don't know about you, Tony. I, th- I think you were kind of down in your basement, and you were just working away at, at one thing and another, and, and this whole idea of the legislature was kind of uh, suspended from you. But give us a little insight. How did you, how did you make the decision to run for the legislature? How did that all come about? So, uh, quite honestly, I, uh, my wife and I, 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 I'm that guy. I, I'm honest with people. I'm that guy who I thought that my job was to work for a living, take care of the family, uh, and as long as I voted, I was doing my job. That's, that's, I spent decades of my life with that mentality. What I realized when I came, and I came back to Wyoming because I said, man, I've been, I remember this amazing place that I grew up and, and lived for years. And, and I'm going back to those fantastic conservative people that I, uh, that I grew up with. Right. And I came back and guess what? Same people were here. The difference is that state isn't governed that way yeah and that's what i that's what i discovered when i got back so quite honestly my true passion is this is to get people involved because ultimately we need to take the power out of cheyenne and put it back in the neighborhoods where it belongs that's what we need to do we need to get the people involved so the people govern and we truly do our job which is represent they, the problem that I had, which is similar to what, what you were, I, I would see names on the ballot that I knew. They had an R after their name. 
And I figured they had to be relatively conservative and that Wyoming's probably in pretty good shape. And to be quite blunt, I paid a lot more attention to national items than I did to state issues. And I just kind of assumed, and we all know what a danger assumptions can be, but I just kind of assumed that Wyoming was in good conservative hands and we were going to be okay. And at some point, I began to pay a little bit more attention. And the more attention I paid, the more attention I had to pay because I realized, as you just pointed out, Wyoming is not governed conservatively at all. It is probably the rank-and-file public, the people that live in Wyoming and work in Wyoming, are as conservative as they come. But the people in Cheyenne that run the legislature are not conservative at all. And when I became aware of that, I decided that I had to do something about it. I couldn't just sit around and, and whine and let my grandkids come up and say, how can you let everything go to hell? And so I decided to get involved. You were sitting in your basement. Give us a little bit of an idea about how, again, how, how did you come to the decision to say, I have to run? So it's true, Ken. I'm the, uh, I'm the basement dweller. I'm the guy who sits in front of a computer for, you know, 12, 14 hours a day, drinks way too much coffee, and uh, uh, hopefully I sneak out every once in a while and get to know my neighbors a little bit, but I'm that guy. And uh, so kind of I went through this process uh, once I got back into Wyoming, started connecting with old friends, doing those kinds of things, started seeing how our government works, and I realized we've got to start putting true conservatives back in there back into the our uh, representatives, you know, into our House and into our Senate. And uh, I looked around, and I realized there's no one running against these people. And I, and I realized that people are concerned. People want to get involved at a certain level, but a lot of people aren't, but there's not a lot of conservatives jumping out there and getting into the races. Fortunately, I had the right people pushing me, and uh, they pushed me for a very long time, and I fought them. So the funny part was, I'm, I'm sitting here listening to motivational stuff on, on my one computer while I'm working on the other computer. So that shows you how bad of a geek I am, to be honest with you. Uh, that And uh, all of a sudden, so I'm not hearing anything that's being played on my computer over here because I'm busy working, and all of a sudden... This it comes on my computer. The consequences of good men's indifference to public matters is that they will be ruled by evil men. And the funny part was I probably hadn't heard anything for the last 30 minutes, and that was so loud in my ear that I realized, you know, the the, the old thing they always say, if not me, who? If not now, when? So at some point, you have to choose to get involved because if we don't get involved, others will govern us. If the people get involved at every level, the people will govern. And that is how it's supposed to be done. Absolutely. So I don't know about you, but I know that when I ran, I was outspent five to one. And I didn't have that kind of money. I didn't know how to raise that kind of money. Quite frankly, I still don't. But the one thing I did have was shoe leather. 
And I went out and I knocked on a lot of doors and I talked to a lot of people. How about you? That I did exactly the same thing. My belief was simply, so being the geek in the basement, my rule was I'm going to get out and meet as many people as I can. So that's what I did. I, uh, I knocked on every possible door I could. I, kn- I knocked on some doors two and three times. If for some reason it was a door hanger, I tried to actually talk to people because I felt like, again, I wasn't going to legislate. I know this may or may not make sense, but in my mind, I wasn't going to legislate. I was going to represent. If you don't get to know the folks, how can you truly represent? And so honestly, by the time I went, I knew, you know, this property tax thing is hot. We knew these hot issues were there. Many times, and you described the property tax issue, we all knew this was something we were sent there to take care of. And to not take care of it was a true failure. And we both felt the brunt. I mean, we were just listening to some phone messages tonight. Um you know, people are hot, and I don't blame them whatsoever. Um, so in, anyway, the long long story short there, we both won our respective races, and we find ourselves in November walking onto the House floor for the first time. And i got to tell you, because I, you know, I grew up in Wyoming and and that place is a little bit sacred to me. And it, it, there was an awe-inspiring sense of being there. Um, I, I presume you felt the same. But oh, oh, it's amazing, actually. It uh, really just, is. And, and I think the thing that hit me, it was funny. I don't know that I fully appreciated the weight of the task I had been handed until I went in there. And I had a period of on that first training day where you all of a sudden realize it and uh, it's a heavy weight. (laughs) It is. And yet, as we walk up there and our our focus, I believe yours was much like mine, was on these people that I had just spent the last several months talking to day after day after day. I knew what they cared about. I was there, Mr. Smith goes to Washington kind of idea. I was there to represent and I'm going to I'm going to bring it. I'm going to tell them what for about what the problem we have with the way things have been run for the last 40 years and how upset we are about it. And what did we hear in the orientation? Hey, you guys are new. You really don't know how this works. If you want to be successful here, what you need to do is essentially shut up and do what we tell you to do. I was offended. We spent, what, two, three days there for that first orientation? I don't remember what it was. And I went home mad. I, I will admit, the interesting thing is, you, and you said it beautifully, if you want to be successful here, but most of us, here's the good news, and, and this is the thing I want to pass along to our listeners Some people's version of successful is we get along with the way things have been done. But the group of us that were sent there more recently, the group of true conservatives, and I'll be careful with the use of that word because it's been abused, but the true conservatives that were sent in there realized that successful 
was to fully and properly represent their people and the conservative groups that are actually out there in the neighborhoods. That was our version of being successful. And that contrasted with the way things have been done for the last 40 or so years. And one of the things, and you pointed it out many times, I, I should just mention for the you know, sake of putting all the cards on the table, Tony and I were roommates. We got down there. So we we not only spent all day together on on the house floor, and you know we had separate committee assignments, but then in the evening, every evening and every morning, we'd have a little bit of time to chat and, and talk about how things were going. And you said it many times. We were losing 36 to 26, 38 to 24. Every vote, it felt like. We were just, we were getting our butts whipped. And we were looking at each other and saying, hey, we're hanging in there. We're doing what we were sent here to do and the other side was getting so angry they were winning but they were angry very true and they were they were angry because we weren't compliant compliant and and i've used this term many times and i've told people this my view of compliance is in many cases compliance is surrender okay and we're not going to be compliant and surrender against our core values we're not going to do that we're not going to sell our core value for any price and so we stood our ground we we fought we voted we uh debated to defend those core values and uh, I, I i i'll be honest with you i for me it it felt good just to get up and do what we were supposed to do I didn't allow myself to be angry at the other people. I didn't allow myself to be angry about the situation. I was very blessed when I got ready to run. And, and the best thing that happened to me was right before, right when I first made the decision to run, my wife and I made a decision. Um, we would do the work. No one would outwork us. But God controlled the results. Best decision I ever made, because what it's allowed me to do is to carry the torch that the people in House District 35 asked me to carry to the legislature. I don't have to be angry. I will keep working, and God will take carry the result for me. I get to enjoy the journey, do the work, and enjoy the journey, and God will handle the rest. Absolutely. I've, I've felt very much the same way. My job is to go there and represent the people that got me there. And recently at the education committee, interim committee meeting, after listening for two days, I heard all kinds of issues that they talked about. A lot of it was mental health and other things that the leadership of the legislature had designated that these are the things we're going to talk about. And I pointed out when I got a chance to speak I pointed out that none of my constituents have brought up any of these issues. These aren't the things they care about. What they want you people to do is teach. And I was not well received <laughs> in that group. <laughs> um, and got a little bit of flack, you know, th through various 
chains about, but it doesn't matter. Because I, just the other day, I was down in Gillette. And somebody came up to me afterwards and said, said thank you for saying what we're all thinking. Thank you for being articulate, for representing us. That's my job. My job isn't necessarily to win. That's in God's hands, as you pointed out. My job is to go be the voice of the people that put me there. And when I go to a committee meeting, and I've been to several of them, I don't just go to the, to the committees that I'm assigned to. I go to as many of them as I possibly can. And when I sit there for a couple of days, and I hear all the agencies and all of the other organizations come up and, and testify, I don't hear the voice of the people that sent me. And so I make the time to sit down, and thankfully as a legislator, I have a little bit of a bully pulpit and can get to do that, and just say, this is what you need to hear. I had an opportunity to say to the Supreme Court judges, justices here, if you don't prosecute the laws that we've already written, it doesn't do us any good to make more laws. It's a, it's a wonderful thing to get to be a representative and to be able to speak what God has given us to say and what our people have given us to say. Absolutely, and and I can't tell you how many times on the floor, many and many of the folks said it. I know you did, Ken. I did. And we made it clear that we would all be held accountable by the people, and I think the people are rising up, and they're going to start holding their legislators and their senators accountable for their decisions and their actions. And those are the kinds of things, and that, that's actually where my true passion is. My true passion is, is to bring more, is to get more people involved, get more people to rise up, and to truly take back control, uh, put the people in charge instead of, um, instead of us having a small group of people that, that run the show. We don't want that. We want more people involved in their politics more people involved in what we do. And I would tell all the folks that are out there, you know, I'm not talking about hold others accountable. I'm talking about holding me accountable. The same for all of us. We, we want the people involved, and we want all be held accountable. And I'm blessed to, be, to have the opportunity to represent a great group of folks. Amen, brother. And as for that great group of folks... I drive all over the state every opportunity I can to get to be with any of those people. That is one of the most remarkable things. You know, one of the things I wanted to talk about briefly was just what it's like to be in the legislature. And for me to be able to meet 25 other people who are like-minded, who are dedicated, who are not there for themselves— it is amazing. We, it's, it's like God went out and he said, I'm going to need one of these. I'm going to need one of these. I'm going to make use of this one. <laughs> you know, God is great and he is doing a good thing. Folks, if you're listening to this, get involved. Know your legislator. Know how they vote. Get 
off the sofa, get out of the basement, get involved. And, and speaking of those amazing people, let me just tell you a funny story. So, so I thought it was interesting since I'm an old guy and I'm an empty nester, you know, it's a sacrifice for anybody who ha- who does this for those of us who are all still working and there's a sacrifice for all of us. But I found it interesting. Some of these young people who have, they have young kids, young families at home. And I was thinking, and I would go talk to them. And I think, man, it's, you know, the sacrifice I make is one thing, but the sacrifice those people are making for their children and their families, I said, it's a huge sacrifice. And it was so interesting because a couple of the young ladies who I said, I, I'm just impressed with the sacrifice. And they said, hey, Tony, those people at home is why we're doing it. It's critical that we get involved, that we do this. I just, it was eye-opening to this old guy. I was like, wow, that is awesome. The sacrifice those people will make to fight for the freedoms of their family and the people in Wyoming. I love it. Couldn't have said it better. Thanks for being with us today, Tony. And uh, look forward to many more opportunities in the future. Thanks for having me. It was a fantastic day. Thanks.